Welcome to another SayNoKNOW.org podcast. We discuss all things drug-related, including policy, crime, and research. We talk to professionals, researchers, and people with lived experience and discuss ideas on how we can make things just a little bit better. The Canadian Research Initiative of Substance Misuse has supplied funding to allow this podcast to take place. Our Say No Initiative is part of the Chrism Prairies Network. Please check out all the incredible work they are doing in the field of addiction and research at chrismprairies.ca. Again, that's chrismprairies.ca. Please note that the views and opinions expressed within our podcast do not necessarily represent the views of Chrism or any of their members. The views in this podcast also do not necessarily represent the views of my employer or any organization I am associated with. And the same goes for all of our guests. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and head over to our Facebook page under Facebook backslash Say No Org or tweet us at Say No Org. Okay, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Say No podcast. I'm here with our guest today, Christine Harutka, and she is the vice chair of the Canadian Pharmacists Association. I think I got that right? Yes, you did. Great. Well, thanks for coming uh, and talking with me. Christine, this is great. As you know, our program is is kind of about educating the public. You know, we have a we have a goal of generating some research based policy as far as drugs and addictions go. And I think it's important talking to somebody in your position so that I can kind of and our listeners can kind of get the perspective the pharmacists. And you're kind of you know being the vice chair. I'm sure that's an that's an important role that you play. So can you kind of tell me a bit about uh, your role in that position and uh, maybe a bit about your, your career and, and kind of what led you to where you are today? Sure, thank you. I'm the vice chair, as, as you mentioned. The Canadian Pharmacists Association is an advocacy association. We try to represent uh, the profession of pharmacy across this country. All of uh, our members are each province, so we definitely have a national, a federated model where we uh, our members are each province, so we represent them globally on issues that affect uh, pharmacy nationally. Uh, every province looks after uh, the practice of pharmacy within their province, where we look after it more on a national basis. So um, being a chair of this, I am a, also a member of the Saskatchewan uh, Pharmacists Association, and that's uh, kind of what led me as a member onto the CPHA board, that's our acronym, and then got elected uh, two years ago as vice chair, and now uh, will be going into chair. So. Definitely, the opiate crisis and strategy is uh, one of our one of our major lobby events. Right, we, hot topics. Yeah, a very hot topic right now. I was just in uh, Dubai. I got asked to uh, speak there in the Middle East, and guess what? The topic they wanted was opiate crisis. Really, in Canada. So it, it's it, it, you know we're North America. We are the worst. We're really the uh, only continent really that has this problem as big as it is. And it, yes, it is. So, you know, differentiating ourselves and what we've done wrong or different is interesting. The Middle East does not have this problem at all. Not that they know of or not that they're... Not that, yeah. Not that they're willing to not share, that, possibly. That could very well be. They just don't prescribe, though, uh, opiates to the level that we have been doing for 20 years. So they just don't have the addicted uh, population there. Uh, how you know? I mean, they do have their issues also, but that that I think most of our issues have come from over prescribing. 
for a long time. And, uh, and of course, misuse. Misuse, right. And misuse and, of course, um, you know, people selling. Selling their prescriptions, right. Exactly. So were you a pharmacist by trade? Before? I am. Yes, right? I am. Okay. Yes. So I uh, used to be with Shopper and Stroke Mart. Oh, great. And then I left that uh, 10 years ago, about eight. And now I own independent pharmacies, two in Saskatoon. So, oh, okay, good. So I am a, a pharmacist, uh, frontline, and do definitely know, you know, some of the prescribing habits that we've had. And and we really, truly did not realize as a healthcare profession how addictive these products really were. Have you seen, have you seen in your career then a change in prescription trends? Or is it just now that we are more aware of what's going on? Like, have you seen, you know, we were prescribing less opiates, you know, 15 years ago till we are today or? Well, I think since awareness has started, uh, definitely the quantities that are being prescribed are a lot less, um, definitely more, you know, awareness with physicians. So, but that has really just been within the last five years right? that it really has. And now you're really seeing a crunch, of course, of number of number of pills that are being given. Um, there's a whole opiate strategy where physicians and us are uh, kind of partnering on quantities, strengths, all of those things. So I think it's going to get even even more and more crunched. And of course, that's what's uh, driving people to crime because they're just not getting uh, the products where they used to. Well, it's nice to see that you guys are going to be working closer with doctors because I just know from my own personal experience, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of pharmacists. It's just it's just kind of a weird hey, thing. My, my, my wife <laughs> jokes around because jokes around about me every time I get a prescription because I always hang out at the pharmacist. I'm always asking them a ton of questions about it. And what we're here for. Yeah. And it feels like I'm a big fan of subject matter experts and it's like, I find it, I always have kind of found it strange that doctors are in charge of dosing over pharmacists. I don't know if that's. And it's, it's, it's very true. That is, that, I, is that a true statement? It, it okay. is a very true statement. And that, you know, comes with collaboration and. Right. I mean, to me, you know, uh, we are the drug experts. Right. We do know the drugs. We do know the doses. Yeah. And interesting, uh, right now we're pushing with Health Canada for us to be able to adjust any opiate, yeah, Whoa. any opiate prescription. If we feel it's not proper, uh, right. too high of a dose, too high of a quantity, we would like to have a prescriptive authority right. to adjust that prescription. I think we really are the gatekeeper here right. uh, because we are the last uh, stop of that prescription before it goes out. And, and along with that, though, maybe we can help identify the the patient that we feel has a potential might, might have an issue or here. is is addicted and right. how we can help them get off of it right. in a, in a proper way so that they don't end up going to crime so exactly um, you know, there's, you know, we know, to be honest, the only pills, it's never their antibiotic or their heart uh, or their, you know, a reflux medicine that goes in the toilet. Right. <laughs> Seems it's always. It's all, they're always losing the they're opiate. They're always right? losing the opiate. Right. So that's that, that being aware to identify that patient, sit down with them and start to say, hey, how can I help you right. get off of this in a strategic manner? I think is our, going to be our real role in the yeah. next uh, in the next five years. Well, it it seems like I th I think uh, never you know in, on this issue in particular with the opiates, I think pharmacists themselves are kind of in the driver's seat of of creating some some positive change and creating you know 
a unique product. I mean, because we, t- we talk about even, you know, as part of the response to a, a crisis like this, pharmaceutical grade street drugs that we can then administer to people who are battling addiction. Yes. And I mean, that information and research has to come from pharmacists, I'd imagine. Yes, it does. It does. And right now, as much as we track drug utilization, we really don't track it prop. We need more, definitely more, more evidence, tracking. more tracking, more tracking of that patient, more tracking of how how we're going to help to manage this right. and measure outcomes. So, you know, it's it, definitely evidence and it isn't out there and definitely data. Right. Data is lacking. Yeah. Now in Saskatchewan, very interestingly, we do have a drug information system called right. HIP. Right. So all drugs, all people, we can see where you, uh, what doctor you're seeing. We can see uh, what quantity you had. Right. So Saskatchewan is not in, in such a bad uh, situation. So is that is that unique to our province? It's, it's unique to Western uh, Canada. Alberta, okay. BC have a program. Ontario doesn't, if you can believe it. Oh, wow. So their pharmacists there do not have any. And they have some massive pain clinics there that are pushing out that's, lots of opiates. That's They have no idea. So we mm. know when a uh, patient's double doctoring or if they've got 20 pills down the street, uh, right. we can see that. So we do have a few more tools in uh, Saskatchewan, but we still have a problem. It hasn't you know, alleviated the problem. So Saskatchewan, as far as as far as addictions, you may know this, you may not, I'm not sure, but for years and years and years and years, I've said Saskatchewan's drug of choice are prescription opiates. And I used to do community drug presentations when I was in the drug unit, like back in like, I don't know, 2008 to 2013, 14. And in the early years there, People would always ask me at these presentations, you know, what's what's the drug issue in in the province? And I would say it's prescription opiates. And and no one is like, well, we're never hearing about this. Why are we never hearing about this? And I'm like, well, because of, for for the most part, the people that are abusing these drugs, at least the ones that the police are interacting with, they're usually intravenous drug users, and they come from a low socioeconomic status, predominantly indigenous, and as it quite frankly, no one's advocating for them, and. It, it seemed like it wasn't until, I mean, it's, it sounds bad, but it's, it seems like as soon as some white people die, all of a sudden the community cares. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. I, I guess I would like to add that I think as long as we were giving Oxycontins and, and uh, out, and then of course Oxycontin reformulated, right? right so the they Neos. Made the Neos. So all of a sudden that was the first real crisis that kind of hit for for addicts so they couldn't crush it so and then of course what has happened now i believe that if if we wouldn't have decreased the quantities as we've started and reformulations patch for patch programs some of these things that we've started then then there wouldn't have been room for the fentanyl but now that's what's really causing the deaths is it because these people are making the fake ones, right? Lacing them with fentanyl because they ch- they aren't getting as the drugs that they used to. You're right. Five I mean, years ago. You, you know what? You're right because when I when I when I when I mentioned that that uh, you know these people are using prescription opiates intravenously for the most part they weren't dying from them. No. Like in, in Saskatchewan, we have pretty low for for how many opiate drug users we have. We have very low deaths, and I think it's because they're using a prescription. That's grade, exactly. Thank goodness. That's thank goodness it. they are. That that was it. Yeah, you've they been. were using the real thing. Yeah, the real death cycle has started since 
People are buying them on the street. They're right. fake. They're fake. They're laced. Yeah, and they're laced. And that's that's the real death. That's what's really made the awareness. Like, why is this happening? So I would say that was a real big turn. Otherwise, people really weren't dying. They were addicts, right? But they weren't dying. So in in I think it was like was it around 2010 the patent ran out on oxycontin yep. something like that? Yep. And then yep. that's exactly that was the year. Okay, yep. good. And then so the patent runs out, and then all of a sudden we have all these people that were hooked on those pills because they were abusing them. Yep. Because of their own addictions issues, and then all of a sudden that just kind of opened the floodgates for organized crime. Because I think still to this day, we're always seizing those fake Oxycontin sure, absolutely. green pills. Absolutely, you will. And of course, we've decreased how many we prescribe. So and that's where I think we started with uh, your addict who wasn't getting as many. Crime, the whole the whole cycle really started. Uh, and let's be like uh, a friend of mine, uh, her son got all of his opiates, or Dilaudid in this case, from a nursing home. And he was friends with one of the orderlies. And the orderly stole Dilaudid from patients all day and sold them to her son at night. So it's not just, it's not just written prescriptions that are being sold. It's also in hospitals, nursing care, home. Breaking home, enters. They break raid, and a, raid enters, a medicine cabinet. A medicine cabinet, all of that, which... Right. By the way, medicine cabinet is a huge issue. Right. People going to people's homes and raiding their and get getting benzos, getting, you know, right. whatever. But definitely, you know, we used to leave anybody who broke a limb, they would leave the hospital or or uh leave the pharmacy with at least fifty to sixty pills. That now is turned into ten. So and we'll probably even go to six. Wow. Yeah, that's kind of going to be like the new recommendation. So so is there is there a beliefs a belief within the medical community that you're in that by me taking my prescription as prescribed, there's a chance that I could become hooked on an opiate? There's evidence that is saying that there are addictive uh personalities that even giving somebody uh five days of a of a of an opiate prescription can make them want it more. So yeah, so you know, you know, I've heard there's a patient advocate who was a, a hockey player at 16. That's how he started. Right. You know, with a with a knee injury and uh, had a prescription for like 40 pills and that started him down the road. Right. So, you know, there's um now there's interesting there's people uh, in our industry talking about genetic testing because there is some genetics that indicate whether you have um uh, Maybe a predisposition yeah, predis of some sort. Yeah, to right. becoming an addicted person. But at the end of the day, there's no reason that we need to prescribe the quantities that we were. There's, uh, you know, it was wrong. So, so what do we do though with, I mean, we have a lot of people that are addicted. I mean, my research shows that the, most of addiction, not all, most starts some sort of trauma that happened in their life at some point or abuse or something like that. Those people are susceptible. They've decided that to deal with their emotional pain and physical pain that they went through, they're turning to addiction or they're becoming addicted. And opiate becomes their drug of choice. I know in, in Vancouver, I think there's a pilot project where they're actually giving um, some prescription heroin or something. Yeah, heroin. Yeah, medical grade Medical heroin. grade heroin. Yes. From the pharmacist's perspective, is that a solution that could uh, could at least, I don't know, reduce some deaths or... 
Yes, I think it can. Yeah. Um, you know, from, and this is more my opinion. Right. <laughs> I think I, I've seen in Europe where they, def, you know, a guy goes into a pharmacy every day and gets a, a shot, um, right. you know, or in an injection site where I believe that that at least stops the crime. Right. Um, that, you know, until though we get a hold of or be able to stop mm -hmm. the amount of fentanyl that's uh, coming into our country i think that's one of our only solutions i think is, so too. is giving real product to these addicts well because we they, can't fight it because we, we can't we're we're obviously losing right you know i mean there's a pill press the federal government's trying to stop pill presses right from coming into the country and some of these measures but i real until we can really tackle that i think the only thing we can do is either get addicts uh these people need help we we need to treat them like real people right we need to get them on methadone or or suboxone which i i just read an article that suboxone is being preferred now over methadone oh good because methadone of course is much more dangerous and probably kills as many people because yeah, it's, it, easy to, it's easily abused it's for sure. very easy yeah. so you know suboxone but definitely um you know uh medicinal heroin i think i i would totally support that i i totally would and that just kind of bridges us to medical uh marijuana there are some physicians who are identifying um, people who are addicted to opiates and they add the medicinal marijuana on. It helps with the anxiety. There is no cannabinoid receptors in the brain, so you can't overdose. Right. And so you add the medicinal marijuana on and slowly taper off the opiate dose. So oh, interesting. I think it's going to be a very interesting tool in the in the kit for uh, getting people off the opiates. So I'm I'm totally pro medical uh, marijuana and yep. and legalization of recreational. Right. I think the product that's on the street right now, they have no clue what's yeah, exactly. the THC. And you would know far more than me that the THC level is out of control. Uh, it's made to be addictive where, you know, if, if we uh, legalize it, create a, a product that we know what's in it, I think that will be a great first step. And then secondly, I would like to see medicinal marijuana used to help opiate. To help opiate. Yeah addicted uh, folks get oh, off of it that's great to hear so, your perspective. you know i think there'll be research yep uh that that's needed like just as you're speaking of but there are people in bc there's a physician he was the one who spoke to us and he was, he's just he had nothing but absolute great results oh that's so that's good to hear got a couple of questions they're they're on both sides of the conversation here so we'll go back for a minute can you tell me a bit more about suboxone because i know it's it's fairly new from what i understand and uh they're they're seeing some good benefits but i know in saskatoon here dr peter but i had a small conversation with him and i think there was only a handful of patients so far in saskatoon that they're trialing it with could you tell me a bit about suboxone yeah suboxone of course is it, it's different than methadone because it isn't doesn't have a street value. Okay. Um, yet, it, <laughs> or yet. could, or could it? Or I don't it think it can ever. Yeah, it can't okay. really be abused. The study I just read about, I think, was from Manitoba, and they felt that they it was a, a better a better product to use than the methadone. Okay. And you had a better chance of getting off totally, but it just doesn't have street value, and you really can't overdose on it, which is one of the problems. Those are uh, those are the, the two, two most important two things. The most important things with it. Now, for whatever reason, um, I've had patients who tell me that 
uh, suboxone just does not work for them. Is it, is, it a pill, is it an oral pill? Yes, it is, yeah. And methadone's typically a drink, it's right? It's a drink, yes. So I know uh, we're, our organization is a member of CRISM, the Canadian Research Initiative of Substance Misuse. We went to their conference in Calgary, and uh, we try to provide, I mean, I don't have the lived experience per se of you know addiction and drug abuse. I spend a lot of my time there, and I have some street knowledge. But our big part of our organization is people that do have the lived experience. Yeah. And so we talked about it in in Calgary when we were there. And uh, during the Suboxone presentation, the one thing that myself as well as the other people from our group mentioned was the big difference is that the user themselves has to say, no, I am done. Yeah. Whereas methadone, you can put your toe in the water for recovery or, or treatment, right? Because right? like, you can be like... You know, because I, I can take methadone and I wean myself off, but if I ever want to, I can easily drift off over here and use my, you know, yes. intravenous opiate if I want. Yeah. Whereas Suboxone, that's kind of done, right? It, it absolutely stops. Because you can't get high? Is you, that how no, it works? You, you can't yeah. get high you off of? Yeah, it absolutely blocks that pathway. Right. So it's an absolute block. So, so if I so if I take Suboxone and then I go and I sh- inject... Mm, Heroin, let's say, what's going to happen? Nothing. 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 Oh, yeah. So, so that's the one. That's the reason that patients, I think, yes, that's the reason. Yeah, want. So you're right. You're you're dead on right when yep. you're saying they have to want to get off of this yep. broad. And if they haven't dealt with whatever issues are in their life, that's, that yeah, is keeping absolutely. them addicted, then then it's 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 interesting because I, I've noticed traditionally we've had kind of standalone detox, standalone treatment programs, and I think it's time that we kind of bridge everything together and. The individual needs a full cycle and needs a big healing plan. And I was just talking to uh, Dr. Gebian from Ontario, who's got lived experience. He yeah. was he was addicted to fentanyl himself, and uh, and then also from the medical side. And he said aftercare is something that's often missed. Not, yeah, it's missed. It's you know, missed. and that was that that kind of really resonated with me because I've never actually heard any of the people that I that I deal with it or even in that our recovery, it's always recovery or it's, or it's, uh, you know, treatment and every year like aftercare. That's, and I think that's really important. Yeah. That's, and I think that's one role medicinal can have, can help relieve some of the anxiety, the, you know, uh, medicinal marijuana, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Just great for sleep. Uh, great for the anxiety to help uh, bring down that level of just worry about, you know, am I going to survive another day? So, yeah, I think you're you're so right. You know, again, wrapping it up with the whole justice system, the justice system, the you know, uh, the whole thing is wrapped and needs to get wrapped somehow. You know, you take throw a person out of jail, and then it's a big cycle occurs over, over, and, over. and over again. Yeah. Right. So yeah, the whole and I really truly believe that I hope um, that some of the revenue, tax revenue from uh, recreational marijuana will go to fund some of these problems. Well, I should hope so. You I mean, hope that's why, that, that's that's why we're legalizing in the that's, first place. That's they right. Say, so. Exactly. So let's hope that there'll be a whole new. And I'm not an expert on, right. on rehab by any means, but I do know that uh, it's lacking. It's definitely lacking. <laughs> it's definitely lacking from Pro- the drug drug side. We can try to help you get off them, right? But that you know, that's as far as we go. And right. You're right. Uh, unless people's core reason uh, for being there, needing those drugs isn't addressed, the cycle will continue. Right. 
So now a uh, question with medicinal marijuana. So I'm, I too, I'm a big believer in, in, in the medicinal qualities that marijuana has. I think, uh, I think there's no argument there. One thing that I found very frustrating with the Canadian model is that it's the one drug that patients are in charge of dosing. Yes. Like how does that, how do you guys feel about that as pharmacists? Well, um, our one of our big advocacies this year is we are pushing for medicinal to come through pharmacies across Canada. Right. So right now, medicinal is a uh, you go to a physician, you get a prescription, and then through paperwork, you get to pick a licensed producer, and it's sent in the mail. So there's really no control. Right. Um, you know, we we've had patients uh, in New Brunswick where we're getting it from. 10 licensed producers. So there's just absolutely no control. And again, when you come into my pharmacy and I happen to ask you, are you using marijuana? And I'll, and they'll say, yeah, I, I am. I'm on medicinal. I'm like, well, what strength? People don't have any clue. No. They kind of taper up and down as they want. So, you know, we need this to get on your profile well, yeah. for patient safety. It, it just makes total sense. Could you, could you imagine me getting a prescription for an opiate and instead of coming to you, I register with Pfizer and Pfizer then yeah. it says, okay, how many milligrams do you want? And yeah. I say, okay, well, give me 15 milligrams. And, uh, you know, how potent do you want it? Well, I want it, you know, the strongest the, you got or yeah. the weakest you got. Yeah, and that's no, what we're doing with marijuana, it seems. We, it, it, we kind of are. I mean, doctors are writing a little bit um, more of how many grams. Yeah, but, but it's not the content. But it isn't the, the content. And, right. and it, really interesting, uh, the goal of medicinal is not to get get you high right. at all. It's, right. it's for either pain or spasticity or chemotherapy, uh, for nausea. So probably the most used is 80% CBD, which is the part that doesn't make you high, and about 20% THC, the part that makes you high. So, um, you know, some anxiety orders, definitely we go 50-50, THC, CBD, if you really want to get high, you want to have lots of THC. And that's really not what medicinal goals are. So you're right. This needs to come through pharmacies. And so we get to learn what are the strengths that work the best. Are you guys doing research in that area now? Starting. Or are you it's just starting. starting? It's all just starting. So um, I know Canamed in uh, Saskatoon here has is only medicinal. And their number one product is 80 uh, CBD, 20 THC. Okay. And that's mainly used for pain, arthritis, chronic back pain. And then the next one they would use would be for uh, someone on cancer therapy for uh, nausea. And then also in MS patients for spasticity. So okay. uh, PTSD, it's used a lot on the East Coast where they have a lot more people who have uh, PTSD and that, that one has got a a bit of a higher THC component, but during the day, they have a, a little bit larger CBD with a little THC and then at night, a large THC so they can sleep. Oh, so they can sleep through any night yes, terrors they exactly, might have. Exactly, exactly. So, Fascinating. Yeah. And right now, uh, if we, uh, p those patients are usually on about five or six antipsychotics, anti-anxiety, sleeping pills. And so to me, this makes so much sense. Right. Is, and they really can't, they really can't function and work every day where um, I've seen results from, I think, six patients uh, out of a New Brunswick study that could totally go to work, have saved their family, saved their marriage wow. by, by being on uh, 
uh, medical marijuana for PTSD. So it, there, I, I have lots of hope. I really do as, as more and more people become aware and physicians become aware. So do you think do you see the medicinal side disappearing though in a, in a legal market? Because really, the co- I mean, until insurance companies start recognizing medicinal marijuana, there is a cost, you know, involved, and if uh, and that is a, a, a fear. But recreational will never have eighty percent CBD, right? Like that will not be the recreational product. You don't think so? No, I don't. I really don't. I think the recreational product will be to get make you high or relax you. What, what about in like, uh, because I mean, people are, this is a very health conscious world we kind of live in. If I'm like, cause I have to pay anyways, no matter where, yes. if I'm getting medicinal Absolutely. weed, street weed, eventually when it's legalized and I can yeah. walk into a store and buy it, it's coming out of my pocket, yes. right? There's no, my provincial healthcare is not covering my medicinal weed. No, not right now. Not but, right now. But I think it will. You I think mean, it will get green, there? Yeah. Green Shield is starting, Sun Life. And um, Shoppers Drug Mart are covering for their employees. Now, only is that right? Yeah, only for a few recognized conditions. So, not just generally, but yeah, Sun Life and uh, Green Shield, I just read. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah, it is. So, I think, uh, and Veterans Affairs are covering, and that's mainly for PTSD. I think that's essential because if I'm having to pay for it myself anyways, then I may as well, as well go. go and get whatever strain yeah. and I could see there being a market for any strain in sure. the legalized side if I'm having to pay out of pocket because I don't have to waste the time to go to the uh, doctor. You're, you're dead on prescription. right. And, and by the way, people who might just use medicinal for sleep or right. just for relaxing, yeah. probably the recreational side will will meet their needs. You know, meet their you know, needs, right. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say that there'll be no one, um, you know, that will leave the medicinal side and come to the recreational side. I think that would be um, it false. Right. But I do believe that people who have specific uh, needs and that isn't to get high will not find that the recreational product right. will meet their needs. I mean, we're talking about marijuana in general terms here. What do you think about the derivatives, like the oils? It seems like for medicinal marijuana, I'm hearing a lot of well, friends that I have even that are on it, and it's all oils they're using. They're, yeah, they're not they're health conscious. They don't want to be smoking anything. Sure, is that what you kind of? Yeah, that's uh, like the weed that is used for medicinal is vaped. So it's really not uh, smoked. Gotcha. So they they really just heat it and vape it. But definitely the oils are really popular also. And you just have a dropper and put them, you know, one right under your tongue or whatever. Yes, right. exactly. So I, I agree with you that the, the trouble is, is that the oils, of course, of course, have a bypass effect. So that you swallow, goes through your stomach, uh, has to go through. So it takes longer. Right. It takes a while to kick yeah, in. Yes. So where gotcha. the vape goes straight in. So depending from what I understand, if you want to fall asleep or you have acute pain, people would prefer the vape instead of, yeah. And the oils, another problem is that people take a drop and nothing happens. So guess what? They they take, oh, more take more and take more. And all of a sudden, that's one of the problems. And then too much. Right. So uh, where the vape gives you right away and, you know, because of that, people don't tend to over use the vape product like they do the oils. Right. So. Oh, that's fascinating stuff. Yeah, it is. It's very fascinating. Yeah. But do I believe that, um, yeah, the oils will, yeah, you, you know, it's easier to use, easier to use at work. 
I, th- I think the oils have a lot of uh, the most popular oil has got a pile of CBD in it right. and really little THC. THC. Yeah, which makes sense. Which makes yeah. sense. Yeah, absolutely. But, but it's funny how few people when I when I used to do drug talks and I'd get to the marijuana section, I used to ask with a show of hands. And over the last two years, I'd say it's gotten a bit better. But I used to say, "Who's heard of THC?" And like the whole room would put up their hand. Who's heard of CBD? Nobody puts Nobody, up their hand. No. Now people are getting more educated and it's, you know, it's yeah. and stuff, but. Yeah, I hadn't heard of. Right. Really. Yeah. As a pharmacist, really, you know, five years ago, we really did not know much about it. And I think the plants got even, you know, there's There's terpenes. even more than terpenes in there. That's right. Yes. And there's so many different kinds. There is. And there more is. research is yeah. coming out. But. Now, I can't really understand how, you know, a rub you know, you know, there's raw topical, topical, yeah. yeah. I have haven't got convinced of that yet. However, who knows? It who knows? might, yeah. Who knows? So I think that's all the research that needs to happen. Is there any absorption that can happen through skin that you're aware of? Hard for me to understand how there really could be, but a five three five, like that's menthol, and you know, it dilates the you know vessels. But no, I to me the oral is the way to go as far as um, uh, pain relief. Pain management. Yeah. And I, I, so I really do think it is really one of our answers to the opiate issue. Oh, if you great. really have horrible, horrible chronic pain, and I know lots of patients do, it could be definitely a tool in our toolkit to help people. Because most people just want to sleep. That's right. And pain at night prevents them from sleeping. Right. So, uh, you know, that tool I think is going to be priceless in in decreasing people's levels of opiates that we give them and also just as another adjunct. Right. So I'm excited about it. Yeah, I am too. Do you feel that in the in the medical community that there is this idea that my patient has to be 100% pain-free, otherwise I'm not successful <laughs> as a doctor? I would say that, that that's what patients want. I think that we do not want to suffer. Right. At I all. guess that is what patients want too. It, it is what patients want. Probably physicians, of course, would like their patients not to be in pain. I think we've taken the easy road, <laughs> so we just give them lots of pain, pain management killers. is yeah. for painkillers. But absolutely, and, do, do and, you think there'll start to be a push? Thanks, thanks to all the awareness to the opiates and all the problems it's caused. Do you think we're going to start seeing the medical community and the and pharmacists as well start advocating or utilizing like more holistic style like of pain management for per se like. Yoga or physio. Yeah, I think there'll be more introduction of those. Definitely. You know, there's definitely um, lots of people working on outcomes that say, yeah, physical activity, you know, um, yoga, all of those things help. Right. So, again, though, pain is a funny thing. Um, If you have high blood pressure, I can measure it. (laughs) I can measure things. I I can know, but pain is very, it's subjective. You just, you don't really, how do, how do I know how much pain you're in? Yeah, exactly. That's the problem with measuring, you know, how much we give you. So the, the, the problem is once you're addicted, you all, you just want to drive up that dose as you would know. And so that's where we've really gone wrong and just given more and more painkillers to people because they're saying they're not being relieved. So I think there's lots of work. But I think the days are gone where we're pushing out 200 pills to a patient, which we have been doing in the past, yeah. 
That's good to hear. It is. It is. I think, but as again, as is your work in policing, um, us limiting quantities. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily it's, mean a it's good... it's driving people to the streets. I know. It's and getting these horrible, you know, these unsafe products, which uh, you know, I agree. I would rather see people. You know, there are, you know, there is some people saying, look, let's just control, give them yes, opiates. Absolutely. Let's give give them what they need and slowly taper them, try to deal, help with them, get off them. Because uh, definitely I don't, you know, the, the, the street, what the street is producing is just. Yeah. I mean, they're just because, yeah, just because we limit the prescription, if this is somebody that's already addicted, addicted and, yeah. and suffering, then that just by us limiting, they're getting it somewhere. That's whether exactly. they're breaking into my house to read yep. my medicine cabinet, uh, yep. whether they're yeah, and I th- I think uh, it'll be interesting to see because I obviously I spend a lot of my time talking to people and and trying to persuade their their kind of going from a moral based issue stance that, that we seem to have generated a lot of our rules around yes. to more something that's research based and, and human centered. I've kind of come to a bit of a conclusion. I think we need to start being a little more selfish as a community, and what I mean by that is. Uh, is if if we say you know what if i if i'm truly selfish and i say look i'm not suffering from an addiction this person over here is suffering from addiction but that's bullshit that they should have to break into my house steal things from me that i've earned that my family's worked mm-hmm. on or that the now their addictions affecting me and my family and i think if if we start uh if we kind of start rallying the community to say like yeah, these people are addicted over here, but their life shouldn't be affecting mine so much like it is now with our high yeah. crime rates. Yes. And when we start doing that, we're going to have to start looking for the solutions and the solutions are easy. The solutions yeah. are through the medical system, give them what they need, give yeah. them what they want. They don't have yeah. to come to my house That's, if the medical system gives them what they need. Absolutely. And work with them. To try, and work with them, right. To try to help. Right. Because, uh, you know, nobody really wants to be addicted. Nobody does. No. To, to an opiate. No, no one does. No. You know, so I see that we have two separate real things to tackle. The one is the current addict, and the other one is education and to make prevention. sure and prevention. So, and they're two totally different uh, ways that we need to handle it. They are. So, just like you're just saying, saying just no, we're not going to prescribe them anymore. It's just driving them all underground. Right. Our our whole rural crime issue that we have right now in Saskatchewan, they say most of that is being driven by drug. Well, it is. By dr- for mo- sure. Looking for money, drugs yep. leads to drugs. So yeah, we have two really different and, you know, you speaking in schools, that's the education right. of, of prevention. And that is so needed here. So that, you know, but the, but the current addict has, they are a real person and we can't ignore them because they're affecting everybody's lives. It's all of our problem. It is all, it's, it's become all, all of our, our problem, problem. For sure. And th- until we start to tackle it that way, it's not, a, it's not a problem that's just over the, the railway tracks anymore. Right. right. It's everybody's it's problem. It's spilling out everywhere. It is. It's spilling out everywhere. It's, and it, it's, yeah, it's affecting the community and the community, I think, is responsible for Absol- the solution. It, 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 it's right. It takes a community. So my last question for you, it might be a little harder for you to answer, is there's a medical intervention as far as pharmaceuticals are involved for opiate addiction. But I've had a lot of people on the podcast, and myself included, the opiate crisis is a crisis because people are dropping dead. But if we were just to talk about what is the biggest addiction crisis in our country, I would say, and a lot of my guests have said, it's methamphetamine. 
Yeah. Do you know of any, is there any pharmaceutical interventions for methamphetamine addiction? Well, I know when uh, methamphetamine was huge, of course, that's when we in pharmacies pulled all a lot of our, our pseudoephedrine, right? Right. We pulled that all behind the pharmacy so people just couldn't come and buy it at will. Of course, you know, that that didn't even touch the problem because the product is coming in again, right? Oh, overseas. Overseas. Yeah. The days of the old uh, farmyard lab is done. Yeah. It's coming from Asia, just Absolutely. like our fentanyl is. Yeah. yeah. Now, which it, to me is, how is this happening? That's not something in my... Um, in my knowledge scheme, but honestly, there's got to be a way that we stop that. You know, there there's a few drugs that we can use to help addicts, but it it's a tough, tough haul. Yeah, I to bet get somebody off of um, you know, it, it is a really tough addiction. And you're uh, you know, you're right. I hear Saskatchewan; it's a huge, huge issue. It's not just Saskatchewan; it's it's kind of this hidden. Yeah, it's hidden. It's kind of hidden because the. Opiates are obvious. Like I said, yes. they, they drop dead. And when you see somebody just acting absurd, like, you know, please get a call that someone's naked on the roof. Yeah. Okay, well, that's methamphetamine. And that's an obvious one. But the mental health calls that we're getting now, um, not just in, in Saskatchewan, but from the everywhere. cops that I've talked to everywhere, are going way up. And that's methamphetamine. Yeah. And so, like, it is everywhere. I mean, the, cost and availability is so low so it's i mean cheap. and so i mean we're even starting to see like i'm seeing opiate users now that i've known their whole life to be opiate users because meth's so cheap they're also hitting the meth pipe every once in a while or injecting methamphetamine as well and it's just like oh. and when they're on that it's it's wild but i don't see any much talk or much research into like okay the opiates you know we can, we can give them opiates. Yeah, yeah. But can we give like I don't know an amphet an amphetamine that's going to be the same? I, I have. Sorry, I don't know you that don't know? answer. Okay. I would think that I think it's the economics is that the meth user, amphetamine user is just broke, broke, broke. Right. I think, and that's why they aren't uh, up at the opiates. But I could be wrong. I you'd you know I you know they might go between the two. But not very often. But people aren't dying. No, they're not dying. That's, but the chaos. It, the, but you're saying yeah, is more like the cr yeah. our crime is yeah. directly associated to meth. Um, the chaos to the family members yes. of a meth yes. of someone using meth is much more severe because they're it's like some living with someone with schizophrenia where there's no treatment. And there's you really don't see much research. No, there I isn't. Don't I? You know, I read. Every article about basically about opiates it right. gets produced pretty well every day, and I do not see. But again, it doesn't really hit our pharmacy counter. We don't see those patients. I see the opiate addicts. I see them um, that are getting legit prescriptions that need them badly, but I don't get to see that patient. Right. So. Well, get ready because we're going to be coming to you guys exactly. soon. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, um, maybe recreational will help them. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know at all. I don't. And I, I mean, maybe, maybe once marijuana is readily available, yeah, that's. It might be the like the answer. It might be, or might so help. use that instead. It might help. Right. Um, I, I don't know. You know, you never hear about methamphetamine in other countries. 
But, you know, again, wouldn't it be great to be able to stop this stuff yeah. from coming in? Well, that's the thing in our ports. They're, our uh, ports. They're coming in. It's, it's coming in by it the is. boatload. It yeah. is. And uh, that's, it's just um, one other advocacy that I'd like to see us take on is, of course, being able to drug test uh, at home, drug tests at home for parents. For parents. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So your 13 or 14-year-old comes home you know, after school or after eight at night and, you know, you're paying for their cell phone bill and you say, hey, just, you know what? I just want to do a little drug test on you because that's the time where having that tool in your kid as a parent, Mm -hmm. I think would be just so needed. Yes, Um, absolutely. And, you know, Health Canada doesn't allow us to sell them. Oh, really? Yeah. You can... um, can order them online, okay, yeah. <laughs> but you can't buy them in a pharmacy. And you know, it's online works, but it would be. But much how do you nice. know again? Who do you know what you're getting? You don't you have know? a clue what right. you're getting. So that's one of my. Uh, when I become uh, chair, that's going to be one of my goals. Good for you. To get that's awesome. uh, home testing for at least marijuana, cocaine. Yeah, um, big ones. Big, yeah, the big five. Yeah. yeah. So um, and I think methamphetamine would be picked up in there. Oh, okay. It, on on a drug test, it would kind of fall. It would fall in there. Yeah, yeah it should. With, it should. Kind of with the ecstasy. Yeah. MDMA. Type yeah, thing. exactly. So cool. Anyway, yeah. Well, thanks, uh, yeah. Christine, Thank for you. your time. This has thanks. been really yeah. informative. <laughs> talk for hours. <laughs> yeah, I could talk for hours to you. Maybe we'll have okay. to do another one. We'll do yeah. a specific conversation sure. about something. Sure, sounds great. That would be great. Thank thanks you for your, your time. time. Yeah, you too.